today as we continue in our series on Advent and in the fourth week of Advent here today. And we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 9 verses 11 through 16. And just to give us a brief brief overview of where we've been the last few weeks. The first week of Advent, we looked at God's intention, of His intention of creating man to communicate with man, but also to even dwell with man, that we would even dwell with God is our original, is the original design of creation. During the second week of Advent, we looked at um, the problem that came with the fall, and we actually looked a little bit past the actual fall, to see the result of the fall just prior to the flood. And we saw the wickedness of the earth and the wickedness of the heart of mankind, which was a result of the fall. And so we saw the major problem that came from the fall that separated us from God's original intention. And so, in other words, we um, went from God's original intention to dwell with us, alongside us, to be present fully with us to this great separation uh, between God and man. Last week we had the opportunity to look at Isaiah and we got to see how Isaiah through his prophecies, through his multiple prophecies in his in his book in the Old Testament, we would see him come in the context or just following the context of judgment or just following the context of God's wrath. And so, in other words, what we saw Isaiah doing was he was promising a Messiah and promising a Redeemer, not when we got our act together, but at the appropriate appropriate time when God chose to send His Son into a broken and an undeserving world. And today we're going to look at this concept of mediation, and we even read this uh, through our confession together today that Kevin led us in. And so as we look at Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 16, I hope we'll uh, take, into, or take um, hold of this concept of mediation and Christ, the one who came according to the gospel when we didn't deserve him, Christ as the mediator. Hebrews chapter 9, we'll start in verse 11, if you would follow along with me. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats, and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the sprinkling of defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls and with the ashes of a heifer sanctifies for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, Purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, He is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since the death has occurred that 
has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. This is the word of the Lord. The author of Hebrews wants us to see this new covenant and it wants us to see the mediator. The author wants us to see the mediator of God's covenant that he has come to secure our place with God. Now we're going to look at two things as we look at this. We're going to look at mediation revealed, which is going to take up most of our time, and then we are going to close with mediation fulfilled. Now if you've ever been involved in mediation, or if you have ever even been a mediator, either formally or informally, then you can kind of grasp this picture that mediation is an attempt to solve a problem between at least two parties. Now, and if you've ever been this mediator that comes into this position of trying to solve this problem, you can know that this can be a very difficult task. I've taken on this role, both formally and informally at times, and there have been times where I have had things thrown. Uh, not necessarily at me, but at another party. But when you're in the middle of the two parties, that can be a dangerous place for a mediator. But the whole point is that the mediator is there to come in between, and then also the mediator is there to speak on behalf of both parties, not just one or the other, but both. Now what the Bible tells us and what we have walked through over the last few weeks is that God made mankind, for you and me, to be like Him. And He did that for a a purpose so that we could be in union with Him and also so that we could dwell with God and there would be a relationship there while we dwell with Him. But quickly in the story, in the Bible, what we see is that things begin to fall apart. And at the entrance of the ancient enemy... And at the entrance of sin, we see this in Genesis chapter 3, the story begins to abound not with union and not with relationship and not with dwelling together, but it begins to abound with this great conflict. Man versus God. Man versus man. So what we see shortly after the story begins, and the story is there to show perfect fellowship, we quickly see this perfect fellowship begins to erode. And what unfolds is this great conflict, man versus God, man versus man. It's just conflict everywhere. But when Christ is revealed, mediation is revealed. And I want to read something from... This is a pastor who wrote a book. His name is Alfred Poyer. He wrote a book called The Peacemaking Pastor. And this is what he says about this mediation and this mediator. He says, Amid the clutter of broken covenants and violation of trust, the good news is that the mediator stands between God and humans. He goes on to say, Here is a very present God, the God-man, Promising help for people in bondage to their anger, lusts, deceits, and 
desires. So, in other words, he sh- he's, he's showing us the story, the story of man and man's anger, our lusts, our deceits, our desires. But he's also showing us the one who steps into that. And he goes on to say, Here the mediator comes with promise and power to reconcile enemies, to pay debts, to restore confidences, to keep promises, and to make restitution. He's coming to mediate. So as we read through the Old Testament, there are a great number of shadows and a great number of pictures and a great number of types and a great number of hopes and a great number of prophecies for mediation, a great number of stories that talk about one that will come or a a great just desire for something to come in between God and man to reconcile man with God. And we see this through offerings. We see this through priests in the Old Testament. We see this through rituals. We see this through washings and other different things that we would see in the Old Testament that take place in temple worship. But what we see is that these were only pointing to a future and a necessary mediation. And as a matter of fact, the author of Hebrews is the one who so clearly shows us this in the New Testament. In Christ's first coming, which is the reason for Advent, His coming as a baby, the reason for Christmas, this necessary mediation is then revealed. So, Old Testament, we have types, we have... Uh, hopes, we have desires, we have prophecies, but then we, we get over to the pages of the New Testament we see mediation just fall to earth and it's revealed. It's here. Mediation is here. And, we're, and today what we're going to look at is we're going to see three ways that this mediation is revealed at Christ coming to earth as a babe. So, Mediation is revealed. Here are three ways that we see it revealed. The first way is this, is that Jesus placed himself in between God and man. So not only did Jesus become man, which made him both fully God and fully man, which is a central tenet of our faith, but he entered, he entered this world. He placed himself in the center of the conflict between God and man. And what Paul tells us in Romans is that he came to make peace between God and man. Have you ever seen a referee throw himself in the center of a fight, either on a football field or in a boxing match, to place himself there to stop a fight? Have you ever seen that take place? Now, that's not to give you a picture to make you see God as a football player or a boxer. But it is a picture to show us how Jesus enters into the conflict because what the referee does in that situation is he knows he is putting himself at risk of taking on the punishment, of stopping the fight and possibly even taking the hit, being struck instead of someone else. And this is what we see when Jesus comes to earth and when he goes to the cross, he's, he's not just God and man. He is that, but he's putting himself between God and man 
in order to put himself at great risk to even be willing to take the punishment. So Jesus places himself in between God and man. This is one way we see him as a mediator. This is one way we see mediation take place. A second way that we see mediation take place is that he speaks on God's behalf. So remember the purpose of a mediator is to come in between and is to speak on behalf of two parties. So here's the second way. He speaks on God's behalf. What we see in John chapter 12, verses 49 through 50, Jesus says this. He says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say, And what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. So Jesus is saying everything that comes out of his mouth is what the Father has told him. So he's speaking the Father's words. John chapter 5, verse 19. The text says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. So here is our mediator saying and doing only what the Father tells him to do. So here he is coming in between God and man. And what the scriptures tell us is that he has come to speak on behalf of the Father, to be the very words of the Father to mankind, to the world as he is the mediator of God's covenant. So as the mediator, Jesus speaks for and he reveals the way of the Father. And through his life and through his words, this is what he reveals. He reveals righteousness. He reveals justice. He reveals sacrifice. And so what he's doing is is he's showing what the Father is like. He's making it very clear. This is who my Father is, and therefore this is what I'm going to say. I'm going to show you who He is by how I speak and how I live. He also reveals God's... And this is actually the context of John chapter 12 when he says, I only say what the Father is saying. He reveals God's call on our life for belief in His Son, repentance from our sin and self-righteousness, and which leads to eternal life. So when he is calling people to repentance, when he says repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, he is saying what the Father is telling him to say, that judgment is coming and belief must be in the Son to escape that and to be able to dwell with the Father. He also reveals God's love for the world. And we see this by the, way, the things that Jesus does. When he heals disease, what he is saying is, is that I'm doing what the Father is doing. And this is to show that there will one day be a world that will be completely rid of disease. Where God will eradicate all disease. <clears throat> when Jesus casts out demons, what he is saying is, is that God longs for a world one day when there will be no demonic activity. And that day is coming. And so my time on this broken earth, I will spend it casting out demons to show God's hatred for it and His power over it. And there will come a day when demons will be cast out for all of eternity. 
There will be nothing to harass those that are in Christ. There will be no one to accuse us of our sin, of our crimes, or cause us to be guilty for things because God will cast them out. When Jesus brings people back to life, He is showing that one day death will be completely defeated and wiped away. And that God longs for that world where death will be no more. Jesus also reveals God's promise of judgment on the world. He reveals it through His message. He also reveals it by calling people unto Him to find safe refuge in Him. He has come as a refuge, as a way to escape God's cleansing judgment that will come. So here's another way to see this as God speaks on behalf, as Jesus speaks on behalf of the Father. This is a way to see this, that He came to reveal the law in the context of the gospel which is to say that Jesus came to show God's character. He came to show how we are to live. So God's character of righteousness, holiness, justice, mercy, peace, all of these things. And then also, by revealing God's character, He's showing this is how we are to live. We are to be a people of righteousness. We are to be a people of justice, of holiness. We are to be a people of mercy. But then also, in his, in his revealing these things about God, God's law, God's character, God's law, in the context of the gospel, he is also revealing what? Our need for him. When he shows us God's character, which translates into this is how you are to live, he's also showing us our need for him because he's showing us our fallenness, our weaknesses, the ways that we are not like the Father, the ways that we don't deserve the Father, the ways that, I, that we all fall short, and He's therefore showing us our need for Him. And this leads us to this third way that He works as a mediator because He comes in between God and man. He also speaks on God's behalf, and He speaks on our behalf. David... King David in Psalm 35.1 looks to the Lord to fight for him when he says, Plead my cause with them that strive against me. So David is crying out, Plead my cause or contend with me, Lord. Jeremiah in Lamentations 3.58 says, You have taken up my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. So both David and Jeremiah see the Lord as someone who is willing to take up their cause, who is willing to plead their case, to contend with them, to fight for them. The Apostle John also sees the Lord in this way. And he understands this in the context of the Gospel and in the context of Christ being our advocate like this in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. The Apostle John says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. In other words, we have one that will plead our cause. Or we have one that will, there's, there's a version that says, the NIV version says, we have one that will take up 
our defense or come to our defense. So just as Jesus, at His coming, has spoken to mankind on behalf of the Father, He, because He came, Jesus, speaks to the Father on behalf of mankind. He speaks to mankind on behalf of the Father. And then He speaks to the Father on behalf of you and me. So let's look at 1 John 2.1. 1, again for just a moment, and picture Jesus as the mediator of God's covenant. So let's picture for a moment Jesus in the middle of God and man. Let's consider this picture that the Bible paints for us. Jesus as the mediator, Jesus in the middle, placing himself in between God and man. Now see what he says based on 1 John 2.1. See what he does. See how he, he is speaking here according to John. Speaking on behalf of the Father, don't sin. Be righteous. Be holy. Imitate God. Don't sin. This is Jesus in the middle telling us don't sin. Then he speaks to the Father on behalf, on our behalf, on behalf of mankind if we do sin. He's telling us not to sin. He's speaking to us on behalf of the Father. Righteousness, holiness, justice, mercy. Imitate God. But then He speaks on our behalf. If we do sin, He's speaking to the Father on our behalf. I have taken their sin. I have died on their behalf. Their punishment has been paid. And here's the thing. If we miss either of those parts of His mediation then we are missing why He came. Understand, Jesus came to be a mediator. What does a mediator do? A mediator speaks on behalf of both parties. If He's only speaking on behalf of one, He's only a lawyer. He's only defending one. But what we see is that Jesus came on behalf of the Father and on behalf of His bride. And if we miss either one of these, if we miss His call to repentance and faith and righteousness and holiness, then we're missing a major part. If we miss His pleading our cause to the Father when we are unrighteous, unholy, unmerciful, then we are missing a huge part of His mediation. In other words, if we miss those two parts, we are not celebrating Christmas according to the Bible. We completely miss Christmas. We just have a holiday and we just join in with the rest of the earth to celebrate this holiday. But when we see it as mediation, the way and as Christ is our mediator and as Christ speaking on behalf of the Father and on behalf of His bride we begin to celebrate Christmas. We begin to see why He came and what He's doing. And this is the Gospel. This is why we celebrate Christmas. This is why we have a series <coughs> called Advent. So mediation is revealed. It is coming. And let's also look as we close at mediation fulfilled. In John chapter 16, when Jesus announces 
he's talking to his disciples and he's announcing to them that he must go. And so he's given, he's foretold of his death and his resurrection at this point. He's saying he must go and they're not understanding why he must leave. But he does it, when he announces this, he does it in a way to say that he must go so that the helper will come. And what we find out is that when he's referring to the helper, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And so he's saying, I must go so that the helper must come. And if he doesn't go, and he even makes this very clear, if he doesn't go, the helper won't come. And so there's a sense in which we see that Christ's death and resurrection are essential for our justification before God. But, it, but also his death and resurrection are essential because that is how he eventually will go back to the Father. It's also essential for the Holy Spirit to come to complete the work of Christ throughout the earth, throughout this age. Now, I don't know that anyone can fully elaborate on this concept that Jesus has to leave so the Spirit could come. The Bible doesn't go into much further detail in John chapter 16. But what we do see from the Bible, following Genesis 3, is that because of the fall, there is a separation. And part of that separation means that there's some type of limit to the fullness of God on earth in a fallen world. There's some kind of limit. And we see that clearly in John 16, that Jesus must go so that the other person of the Godhead can come. So they can't dwell here simultaneously in their fullness. Mysterious, we don't have all the answers, but it has something to do with a fallen earth. Now, turn with me as we look at this mediation fulfilled to Revelation 21. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4. Now what we are about to see is through John's vision, we are about to see a picture of Christ's mediation being fulfilled meaning what his coming to earth will ultimately accomplish for us and for God. And so, and let me just say, what this tells us is that there's something after, after our death, okay? If, if Christ does not return while we are alive, if we die before his return, there's still something that awaits. And so, in other words, we misunderstand things when we think when we die then everything is complete. We're now fully what we're going to be. There's still something that comes. And this is what John, God has given John a vision of and this is what we're going to read here in Revelation 21, 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, 
the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Now let me stop for just a moment. What we see in the Old Testament is God making promises over and over again. I will be your people. I I will be your God and you will be my people. And so what we are seeing here in Revelation through John's vision is this will be fulfilled in its fullness. Because God fulfilled his promises to an extent both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. But what Revelation is telling us is that there is something coming, a day coming, when this will be revealed fully, that it's only happened in part. Then verse 4 says, We will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Now here is what we need to understand is that when Jesus came to earth as a baby, death was still here. Mourning, crying. As a matter of fact, because of Jesus' birth, a lot of babies lost their life. Meaning death was still rampant. Terrible. Crying. Even in heaven, crying was taking place according to the Scriptures. But there will come a day when that will be no more. It will be completely wiped out. So Christmas tells us that Christ entered a broken world, a sinful world, a furious world that was angry that He came. But it also tells us, Christmas also tells us, that He loved the world and He will make it new in that new earth. And that God the Father, God the Son, And God the Holy Spirit, they won't have to trade places. But they will be there in all of His glory. God will be in that new earth in all of His glory. And He will be there with those of us who are in Christ fully. And His omnipresence will spread across the new earth. And every step we take, we will understand that He is there fully. And the knowledge of Him will spread throughout that place. Because of Christ, our eternity is with God in His fullness. Because of Christ, our eternity will be spent with Him fully. Because He sent Christ to earth, His one and only Son, we will find our place with Him. That's what Christmas tells us. 